Don't be sad it's over. Celebrate that it actually happened. Next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Waits for it. Yep. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. season is over. You and I know. It's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Happy New Year to all of you. I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to our very first episode of Michigan Podcast here in the year 2022. And it's a little bittersweet, although not really all that much. See, a lot of you have wondered over the last couple of years, well, pretty much ever since I drank that Kool-Aid in 2018, so three years, what would this show, what would Steve be like if he got his faith back again? If Stella got her groove back, what would it look like? Well, you're about to find out because, yeah, we got absolutely curb stomped and pistol whipped in front of the entire country on New Year's Eve. And I just don't care. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was disappointing to watch and it's not how I anticipated this season was going to end. But you have to think about what this season overall was. And I'm still on a bit of a uh, a maize and blue sugar high here because this season did something that I, I had feared was never going to happen again. And this season restored my faith as a fan. It made this fun again. And what's weird, too, is, it, is I, I didn't even get there this season until really late. It wasn't really until after the Penn State win. So, I mean, we were almost all the way through this season before I even got to that point. And it's because of how cynical... And bitter, I'm, I'll own it. I'm, I, I was owning it at the time I was those things. As I kept t- trying to tell you, I was broken as a Michigan fan. 
in the last few years had taken something that had brought so much joyful escape to my life. And it, it, it just felt like that was irrevocably broken and it was never coming back again. So you'll have to excuse me. I can muster, feign some crushing level of disappointment and frustration, but I'm really not. I mean, I'm, I wish we would have won. I seriously thought we had a chance to win. But in the end, we lost to a team that until the final week of the season was being debated about where it ranked in terms of historically great defenses, had absolutely curb stomped and pistol whipped every team. And what we all understand, if we, even if we don't want to admit it, is the best conference in college football. And except for one game, looked like the unquestioned number one team in the country. And it looks like we just played them at the bad time there. I mean, we we they you it was going to go one of two ways with Georgia. Either they were going to show they had a glass jaw, or they were going to come back pissed. Unfortunately for the good guys, it was the latter, and the most talented roster in college football unloaded, uh, and then we played poorly on top of that. Now, I mean, if we played those guys ten times and we play well ten of those games, we're probably losing at least seven of them anyway. But when you play poorly. And it looked like right from the start, we were pressing out of position. Run fits were off. Um, it, it, it looked like we kind of had lost some of our focus after the long layoff. And Georgia had a long layoff too, but they didn't spend as much of it getting individual accolades and awards and pats on the back like we did. In fact, they got a lot of it. You know, N'Kobe Dean won a big-time award. But a lot of, you know, they got a quarterback controversy. They got people questioning whether they were now the most overrated team all season long. You know, there were a lot of people adding chips to those very broad shoulders of those 19 five-star prospects on the Georgia roster. That's right. I said they have it. 19 of them. 19 of them, guys. So you only play 22 guys in a game, all right? Georgia's got 19 five-star prospects. So we played them at a bad time. We played our worst game of the year. We'd only played one bad half all season long. It was the second half against Rutgers. Doesn't mean we had all great halves. We hadn't. But there's only one legitimately bad half of football Michigan played this year, and that was the second half against Rutgers. This is the only legitimately bad game we played. Unfortunately, came on the biggest stage against what I think will prove to be the best team. I think they will beat Alabama in the rematch and win the school's first national title since 1980. OU Herschel Walker. But I, I just... I can't get to a place of disappointment that's of a crushing variety. My, my main disappointment isn't that we lost, is that the season's over. I wanted this to continue. This is fun again. And it, it was, it's fun that Michigan let us get to know the players again, that Jim Harbaugh let us get to know him again, like we did as a player. We got to hear human interest stories like David Ojabo and the kinds of things that Frankly, for a, a lot the last few years, Michigan stiff-armed us as a fan base, kept us at bay. They let us in. I was listening on WTKA the other day, and Devin Gardner, former Michigan quarterback, was talking about this is the first time under the Harbaugh era that the former players were welcomed back with open arms at all times. It just it felt like Michigan football again. And I, I didn't think that feeling was ever going to come back. I really didn't. I was in a, I was in a very dark place. And whether it was watching David Ojabo with one year of organized football 
before arriving at Michigan become maybe a top 10 pick in the draft, watching Aiden Hutchinson become a kid from a broken ankle to maybe the number one pick in the draft, watching Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy maturely handle what on a lot of other teams could have been a very difficult uh, quarterback uh, situation, watching Vincent Gray until the last game, uh, and and his rebound and reclamation from what had been a disappointing last couple of years. I, I could go on and on. Watching the offensive line win the Joe Moore Award. Watching a fleet of young playmakers emerge to get you excited about the future at the skill positions. There's a, there's a lot of things. Jake Moody winning the first Lou Groza Award in the history of the program. I mean, Jim Harbaugh, National Coach of the Year, and so Harbaugh and Jawan Howard, first time the same school has had AP National Coach of the Year in the same year. They're winning the Broyles Award, and of course it's the assistant that none of us thought should have been brought back in, in Josh Gaddis. It, no, there's, there's way too much good here, and way too much good happened, and there's way too much that set the future for more of this kind of good to be down and out after the season we had. This is, was an all-timer of a season. And that's why I don't think anybody should be disappointed that it's over. We should celebrate that it actually happened. Well, the calendar is about to turn to basketball season. And if you like sports handicapping and you like Michigan podcast, a great way to marry those two is to support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. College basketball last year, we were 59 games over 500. We hit 56% of the games in the NCAA tournament. We correctly advised you to take Baylor at 6-1 to one to win the NCAA tournament, which they did. We had a very good college basketball season last year, especially down the stretch, and we're loaded for bear now for the new season as well. And yes, we'll continue on with our football handicapping as well. So make sure you support us just $5 a month. Who knows? It might win you some money when you go to patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. Time now for the 10-minute war here on our first episode of 2022 on Michigan Podcast. And we are joined by our good friend and perhaps the one and only reasonable bucknut out there. Mark Rogers has himself a fantastic channel here on YouTube, the voice of college football. Good to see you, my friend. Happy New Year to you. How are you? Happy New Year, Steve. Good to see you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Well, Mark, we laid out at the top of the show, next week we're going to get more into what I think Michigan can do to take the final step now as a program, now that kind of Harbaugh has taken the next step. And then Georgia showed there is still a final step that a program like Michigan has to take. We'll get into what I think Michigan needs to do for the future next week. This week, though, our theme is, hey, you know, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it actually happened. So let's look at this season as a whole. And I go back to, I think, the very first conversations you and I had about this all throughout the offseason. That I told you that I thought this season would either be Jim Harbaugh's National Coach of the Year or fired. You remember me saying that? That with, with all the new plate pieces and everything, that either this was all going to hit at once or it wasn't going to land. And either he was going to pull off the Brian Kelly and that's the only coach I can think of that reinvented himself this deep into a career with a new staff, and it didn't signal that he was canned next. 
It worked for Brian Kelly. If you look at Notre Dame, had five straight double-digit win seasons after that first time in school history. And now it has worked for Jim Harbaugh. Just your thoughts on this season as a whole and what it means for the Michigan program. Well, it's an overwhelming success because uh, the Ohio State uh, factory was a juggernaut coming into this season and had everything working its way, going its way from what was happening on the field to recruiting to the psychology. And Michigan somehow turned that around and made it all work. And many of us, including myself, had kind of questioned as the success and the wins were piling up throughout the season, how much of it was real because of the backloaded schedule. And then we got our answer, um, most notably in Ann Arbor on that uh, final weekend of the season. And then to emphatically be able to bounce back. So this is key right here to stage what was the most monumental win for this program in how long? I don't know. I'd let you fill in the blank, mm-hmm. 15 to 20 years at least, and then be able to bounce back the following week. Iowa is not a great football team. They are very limited on the offensive side of the ball, but still a top 20 team in the nation. And just to pound them into submission, 42 to three, that was impressive to me. The offensive identity, I think I've touched upon this before. I am just impressed with how they were able to keep the old and add the new, keep the Jim Harbaugh identity, the Michigan identity, and be able to update it and complement it with explosive plays downfield with with gimmicky type plays, but not turn the offense into that, maintain the Michigan consistency of uh, straight ahead, uh, hard-nosed football on the offensive side. I thought... Overall, the buzzword, and it's getting used maybe almost too much in sports now, but when that happens, it's a little bit like the SEC is way overrated. It's still by far the best league, especially at the top at the exact same time, if that makes sense. Okay, I mean, we act like, wow, you can't beat a sixth-place SEC team. Uh, yes, you can. All right. But but the, it is still, I mean, the national championships speak for themselves. The top of that league is is a league of its own without question. Um, at the same time, that that is now granted the entire rest of the league some level of papal dispensation that it tiptoes between raindrops when that's not the case. So two things can simultaneously be true. The word culture is used too much. And it is still vitally important at the exact same time. I think that is the that's the word of the year. And I think that Jim Harbaugh did something that I think for men in general, uh, for us as a species is hard, but especially men in this era, you know, with social media and everything else, no one has to be self-aware anymore, Mark. Everybody can gaslight. Everybody can, which is ironic because you're on the record more than any other time in all of human history because of social media, right? Everything you've ever said, thought, we can find a record of it somewhere easier than ever before. And yet people act like there is no advanced search function on Twitter, right? There is no such thing as Google. And so there is no self-awareness. There's just, it's just gaslighting constantly. And, and Jim took a long look in the mirror after that disaster last year. I think he, now, I don't think it was entirely altruistic. I think he got a humbling from the NFL when there weren't opportunities to immediately run to coach the head coach, the chargers, like maybe he was kind of hoping if he was looking for an eject button. So 
he got humbled, but let's face it, a lot of leaders don't want to be humbled these days. So give him some credit for allowing himself to accept that humility. He took that deal, which he knew was going to lend itself to nine months of an offseason of jokes where the Louisiana Tech coach, Skip Holtz, had a, had a, a tougher buyout than Jim Harbaugh had. And he got it from his former teammate. And I think Ward Manuel was like a freshman when Jim was a captain. So this is his junior. This is his junior. All right. He was the captain over this kid. He's now his boss. He gives him maybe the most notorious haircut of a salary cut in the history of college sports. A lot of people would not have welcomed that, certainly not have accepted it, let alone thrived despite those things. All the different coaching changes that were made, um, this became one of the youngest coaching staffs in all of the Power Five all of a sudden. And I, I just I think that's the thing is he allowed for a player led team. We've been wanting we've been wondering as Michigan fans, where's that Michigan culture? Where are the strong captains, the senior leaders instead of guys sitting out bowl games? I mean, where's the senior leaders at? And and I think that it took him a long time to realize, you know what? The problem here really is me that I that that it's Michigan. It's it even Clemson which gets away with things from an athletic, uh, you know, a, shall we say a, a compensation standpoint and an academic standpoint, you can't do it. Michigan Dabo is a huge culture guy. This was the first year they've had like any transfers there. He kept the same staff for like 10 years. Okay. I think Jim realized, you know what? This isn't the NFL and we've got to re- we've actually got to build a college program here. I need to be more available. I need to be more involved in the lives of my players. I've got to be more um, uh, more open to them. We need coaches that are not just football coaches, but uh, want to be surrogate dads and mentors of men. And and I think that that's what kind of cracked the code this year was that. And then I think they went with a scheme where they just did whatever was best for the players they had. And I don't think they've done that in the past. I think in the past it was Jim's system. And then when Jim's system ran its course, then it was, well, let's do with this new, you know, speed and space without even looking at what kind of athletes we have, right? We got Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Those aren't quick twitch guys, okay? And I think this was the year that they, he both finally decided I needed to be a college football coach and, and B, I've actually got to be more merciless. We're just going to do whatever the hell works. So where's the talent on this team? The, ed, the edge rushers and the running game. Every, so we're going to build everything around those two things, and everything we do will build off of those two things. And I think, I think those were the two big factors in why this was such a stunningly successful year. We're all uh, familiar with the adage, uh, pride comes before a fall, but few of us are familiar with a lot of adages that are uh, from the Bible and elsewhere that tells us that humility comes before elevation and uh, ascension and moving to successful places in our life. Uh, But most of us, based on human nature, don't humble ourselves. We've got to be humbled by the circumstances. The situation has to humble us uh, because we're not going to humble ourselves. And looking at what Jim Harbaugh does and did this past season, as you outline it, what comes to mind is Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. Nick, So we're talking about the two most successful coaches, Saban, in Saban's case of all time, arguably. Uh, I think we're, we're there at this point to just flat out call him the GOAT. And then with Urban Meyer uh, of the last 20 or 25 years, and They're the two greatest coaches since the Bear Bryant era, Parsegian era, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Saban's got the national championships. Urban Meyer has the greatest winning percentage in modern college football history post-World War II. Saban has um, changed with the times, both on the field football, but also the other um, nuances to the game that have that you have to have adapted to. He's been able to do that. We see Urban Meyer, after a successful career at Ohio State, go to a situation in the NFL in which you have to adapt. This could have been at any other time in history. It's the pro game versus the college game, and he obviously, by his uh, transgressions and otherwise, didn't learn that lesson. He's he's unwavering in, in a negative sense and did not adapt and therefore failed and was humbled. The quarterback situation. And there was a lot of talk. I got asked a few times in the last week if if I thought at any point this year Michigan should have done what Clemson did, uh, where Kelly Bryant got benched and then Trevor Lawrence got brought in. And while I understand the analogy, I actually never thought it applied. Um, and 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 I'm a J.J. McCarthy guy, and the reason why is because I'm a ceiling guy. I'd much rather aim for the high ceiling than settle for the low floor. But first of all, when Clemson made that switch, it had already appeared in a college football playoff. It had already won a national championship. Uh, it had already reached that final step as a program. So the the culture there, it was would be a little bit more accepting of dumping a guy that just took you to the playoff for a five-star freshman because most of the players on that team had just won a national championship with Deshaun Watson a couple of years ago and understood this is the new baseline for this program. It was not a it was not a program on the ascend. It was a program that was attempting to sustain what it already accomplished. Uh, for Michigan, we we had not won a championship uh, since 04, not an undisputed title since 2003. We haven't finished in the top five of the final poll. We're going to do that this year, I would guess. Uh, we haven't finished in the top five of the AP poll since 1999, Mark, not this century. Okay? So I, I don't think it would have been smart to make that move whatsoever, especially it's clear that McCarthy was handling it well, because if he wasn't, we would have seen that. Okay, I mean, you're talking about that guy could have blown the team up with, hey, I should be playing and talking to players. Clearly, he wasn't because of the chemistry they had this year. McNamara, I don't think is a great college quarterback. I do think he's a hell of a leader, though, and I think he played a huge role in resetting that culture this year. And I think that this was always a reset year. It was always about if they won enough games to get to next year when they really thought that was going to be the year that they'd be able to compete for titles again. Um, so I thought it was smart to ride this out with Cade McNamara till the end. Because now if you do need to make a switch next year, you don't have a bunch of guys that that McNamara and you know worked with to rebuild the program that are kind of splintering the locker room. I think we all saw on New Year's Eve that this program's gone as far as Cade McNamara can take it. And, and he had earned the right to see what him and his his classmates, his upperclassmen classmates that rebuilt this culture, he earned the right to see it through with them, and I'm okay with it. What are your thoughts? I'm also okay with, and more than okay with, I'll, I'll go a little shy of brilliant move by Jim Harbaugh throughout the season to give that time to J.J. McCarthy, like we talked about throughout the season. Is he setting the stage to hand the reins to J.J. McCarthy? No, he never was. Um, of course, if McNamara would have given him reason to, he would have. But he gave him meaningful snaps in meaningful games. And so he he knows what he's got to a certain extent. He's he's played enough, McCarthy has, against good opponents to show us what the floor is. And 
the floor is no less than what Cade McNamara is. So he was able to progress this team, satisfy J.J. McCarthy with some playing time in meaningful games against good opponents. He was able to keep it in Cade McNamara's hands, not upset the locker room uh, situation, but then also set himself up to know what J.J. McCarthy is going to give him uh, if he turns to him as a starting quarterback. So I think he checked all the boxes and made it all happen and balanced it all out just about as best as uh, possibly could could have happened. Before we let you go, let's talk about the Big Ten as a whole. And it was one hell of a season for the league overall. I mean, look at some of these numbers. Michigan had just its second 12-win season ever. Ohio State, I think, has had its ninth season of 11 wins or more in the last 10 years. Uh, Iowa, I believe, had only its eighth 10-win season ever. Minnesota had only its fourth nine-win or more season in the last 100 years. Purdue had its first nine-win season since 2003. That's almost 20 years ago. Overall, um, I mean, this was a banner year for this conference this year, Mark. Great year for the conference. Um, I'm big into sizing up the results and trying to make sense of it. And during the regular season, the SEC and the Big Ten's results on the field against non-conference competition was neck and neck. And so I was looking forward to the bowl season. And sure, we've got the opt-outs, and we have to try to weigh that into the evaluation, which is difficult. Uh, but the bowl season to try to match up these two conferences – Obviously, I've got a couple of Big Ten friends who are a little bit too ardent in their support for the Big Ten to the degree that they're just flat out blind and uh, stating to me that the Big Ten is the best conference in the nation. Look at our bowl record. And this was early in the bowl season. Well, first and foremost, I said, hang on, put the brakes on. Let's see the better teams play. And of course, as you noted a few minutes ago and talking about the SEC, the upper tier, that's, of course, Georgia and Alabama. Well, I believe in ranking and rating the entire conference, but that's the most important slice is vying for championships. So there still is a decided second place for the Big Ten versus the SEC. And now later in bowl season, uh, the the, the uh, Big Ten, of course, hit with a couple uh, crucial losses, but strong season for the Big Ten. And it's a, it's a deep league. Uh, I don't know that Iowa was one of the four or five best teams in the league. When you really look at it, they made the championship game and they still uh, won the 10 games could have won in 11th against uh, a pretty good Kentucky team in the Citrus Bowl. That would have been their, I think their first and only 11 win season actually uh, in school history. And that doesn't even get into the, the incredible surprise season that Michigan state had. Um, And, and, I there's a lot of talk about Nebraska and we'll get into this more in the off season. To me, I think Penn state's the most curious program of the, of the of this off season now is where are they at? I mean, he's a James Franklin's at 11 and 11 in his last 22 games. Uh, he was preseason top five last year, became the first program ever to start. Oh, and four or Oh, and five after being preseason top five. Um, you look at this year, they were j- ranked just outside the top 10, they finished seven and six. Clifford announced he was coming back and then was horrible in the bowl game and they had to get benched. I don't know, man. It, it seems like it's a Michigan situation, except this time they gave the coach an incredibly obscene uh, extension first. So he's, he doesn't feel any pressure to uh, be self-aware or look in the mirror or anything. He didn't get any humbling at all. That is going to be very fascinating to watch the, this offseason. I think Penn State more than any other program in my view. 
It really is. I think that they were the best seven and five team in America. Of course, seven and five is not a great standard to have, but that defense was phenomenal. They were they from an athletic standpoint, they didn't necessarily live up to that billing each and every week, but most of the time they did, and they lose a ton of that NFL talent on defense. And man, they were really good on defense. James Franklin continues. Uh, you know, I could dissect that Arkansas game. He continues to just make curious coaching calls. You know, one in particular, I'll just bring this one up. The place kicker was handling the place kicking, the kickoff, and the punting. Okay, James Franklin wanted to relieve him of all three responsibilities. But instead of waiting to the offseason, you know, I'm thinking at this point, you got three to four weeks off, you lead into a bowl game, you can have a conversation with him and say, get us through a bowl game. But no, he makes a decision to make that change prior to the bowl game, and they they miss some some field goals badly. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And there's a re- um, there's a reason why when George went up fourteen to nothing the other night, I tweeted out, "We really need James Franklin to call for a fake field goal right now." Okay, I'm feeling you. I know it's it's uh, it's something else. So yeah, Penn State, uh, I'm right there with you in terms of curious because they're still recruiting, they're still bringing in the talent. Yeah, but his last two classes have been dynamite. 11, yeah. Uh, 22 games is a large sample size. Yes, it is. Not good. Yeah. I think he's on like his fourth or fifth offensive coordinator or something, too. So, Mark, good to see you as always, brother. Happy New Year. We'll do it again soon. All right. Maybe as soon as next week. Take care, man. Thank you so much, Steve. You bet. This week's Twitter poll results we asked you, which historic predecessor do you think best describes? the 2021 Michigan football season, the 1969 breakthrough that that signified the beginning of the, uh, the, the Schembechler era for the next 30 years, and Michigan was among the leaders and best on a perennial basis. 52.8% of you think it's that. 47.2% of you think it's the Bob Timberlake 1964 outlier, where in the midst of Michigan's longest championship drought, in the program's history until this past one. Michigan came out of nowhere to win the Big Ten title, finish in the top five that year, win the Rose Bowl, but then went back to a losing season the very next year. 47.2% of you think it is that. So here's hoping that it's more of the 1969 breakthrough variety. This week's feedback of the week from Subpar Takes, he writes, this year felt like an important culture shift Need to reload on defense, but I have very high expectations for this team next season, as you should. Uh, Offensively, from a skill position talent uh, and an offensive line perspective, I think this is going to be the most talented offense that Michigan has returned in a given season. Uh, Probably um, 03, 04 in that era when you had receivers like Braylon Edwards, Jason Avant, and Steve Breston on the same team with Chris Perry. Now, I don't know that any of single players that good, but the collection of players, uh, this is going to be the best collection of talent on offense we've had in a long time. And then if you look at the schedule we're playing next year, now the Big Ten hasn't finalized schedules yet. Several games have to be changed and switched because of the COVID year. So the conference schedule will be announced here in the next few weeks, it looks like. But if you look at the the slate of teams. The teams aren't going to change. The dates and locations will in a couple of places. If you look at the slate of teams, this is the softest schedule I can ever remember Michigan playing in my history as a fan. Maybe they played some as soft. I don't believe they played any softer. And those first three non-conference games are all going to be named the score Saturdays. So 
if you did want to reload on defense and get a young, talented quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, prepared to take the reins, that's the perfect schedule to do, one if not both of those things. So, I mean, to me, I, I think 10 wins is the floor for next year's team. That's the floor. But a lot of things to talk about and break down between now and then, and we'll keep doing that right here on Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, five-star review, share, whatever applies to however you watch, whether it's right here on YouTube or you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Please keep doing that so we can find more Michigan fans just like you. Follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast as well. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.